Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Mastery and I'm excited to have Nick who was the founder of the Sweaty Startup and Bull Storage, which owns and, op- and operates a self-storage portfolio with 63 self-storage properties. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So, um, so you know, you've been very active on Twitter, and uh, you built quite a uh, uh, you know personal brand for yourself. But how did you get your start in this crazy world of startups? Yeah. So I started a, a sweaty startup, a boring business, a pickup and delivery student storage uh, company in 2011 when I was a junior in college, and um, it was a hard business, but we learned a ton about uh, hiring employees and and building teams and and all the headaches and tough things about running a company. And we got some experience and um, ended up selling that business in 2020. And um, before we even had sold, we kind of leveraged some of the the profits and, and cash flow from that business to start to invest in commercial real estate. And we built our first building in 2017. Um, and today we have uh, quite a, quite a large portfolio. We've raised a little bit of money and, and uh, also I'm dabbling in some other entrepreneurial endeavors with some other businesses as well, but it's been, it's definitely been a journey. Uh, interesting. And uh, was, uh, uh, you know, what made, what made you get into, you know, student property? Because, you know, I, I was w- earlier working for a student accommodation marketplace, very interesting uh, concept here in the UK, but what got you uh, involved into, you know, student um, space? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't really consider myself an entrepreneur. I didn't overthink it. I didn't study entrepreneurs. I didn't read entrepreneurship books. I simply got excited about making some money and right. ran around. and And the goal wasn't to take over the world. The goal wasn't an, uh, a world changing idea. It wasn't a new app. It wasn't scalability. It was, hey, let's go make a couple thousand bucks and see what happens here. Right. And um, and we we kind of ran around and did that the first season. Then we set some goals that you know we had to kind of get uncomfortable and grow and scale. Try to grow and scale the company the next year. And, um, you know, we, cause we were about to graduate with Ivy league degrees and we didn't want to be running a moving company if it wasn't going to really help us move the needle forward in our life. So we went to a couple other locations, a couple other college towns, um, rented warehouses, bought, bought cargo vans and just started grinding and, um, didn't overthink it. And most of the, you know, most of the, of the people we were starting to network with as business owners and entrepreneurs, they didn't. Um, they definitely weren't attracted to our idea. They didn't think it was a a home run, and it wasn't an exciting thing to talk about with people. But you know, we by the time we were twenty five years old, we had a half million dollars in the bank, and we could go leverage our skill set to do some bigger, and better things. So I think it was it was a, a necessary journey. It was it was suffering, and it wasn't fun, and it wasn't an easy business, but it was necessary to get to where we are um, today to kind of go through that pain and struggle. Mm, kind of interesting. And uh, you, you mentioned something interesting that you went to an Ivy League college, but when, when you go to an Ivy League college, there's always a pressure to take up a high status job, like, for example, in investment banking uh, or being consulting, you know, um, what advice would you give to recent graduates who would want to, you know, get their start in, into tech, in, into entrepreneurship? Would you advise them to look into tech startups or, or do something which makes money? Uh, it is such a tough, that's a, such a tough question. I mean, it depends on the person. Not right. everybody's cut out for entrepreneurship. Like right. not everybody is cut out for the risk. And um, when it comes to 
tech startups and going and trying to raise venture capital and trying to start a you know a scalable world changing business i think that there's no worse time to do that than when you have no network um, yeah. no capital and no operation you know operating ability you don't know how to run a company mm-hmm. i think to to start a business you need three things you need cash you need experience and you need a network so that you can find customers and find and find employees and find people to join your team and when you're just getting out of college you have none of those things so going and raising money and trying to um, you know, disrupt a space is really tough. It's been done, but the odds are against you. I had a lot of friends who left college and tried to do that for a little while. And they ended up going to get jobs because hmm. the odds were stacked against them. And it was so tough. So my advice would be to maybe set the goal. If you are going to pursue entrepreneurship, set the goal a little bit lower, try hmm. to make some money, try to do a normal business. Um, there's a lot of businesses in our towns that are operating right now that make good money. And you can, you can, uh, get a piece of the pie and you can start to build those three things that you need. And then later on in your career, you can do bigger things, more profitable things, more scalable things. Hmm. Got it. Interesting. And um, especially when it comes to, to sell storage, you know, if somebody wants to start uh, buying, you know, uh, what would be, how, how much of capital or cash they would need to raise uh, in order to start off their operations? Yeah. So people ask me all the time, how do I get started in commercial real estate? How do I get started in self-storage or even how do I get started in real estate in general? And my first question to them is always, um, it always kind of surprises them. I always say, how much cash do you have? Yeah. How how much cash do you have? And if they say, um, well, I don't have any cash. I'm an, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a new entrepreneur. I got 10, 20, $50,000 max. I'll say, okay, well, do you have wealthy family members? Do you have wealthy friends? Do you have people with cash who already trust you because of who you are, your relationship with them. Um, and if they say no to both those questions, if they say no, I say real estate is not for you. Mm. It's not. I mean, there are some people who have started with nothing and made a, a, a fortune in real estate. That's not the norm. The odds, again, are stacked against you if you go that way. Most real estate families who own city blocks in New York City and you know hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate, they almost all started with entrepreneurship. Mm. They started a small business, made a bunch of cash and then they utilized real estate as a way to um, you know, achieve tax efficiency with their cash and also to put their cash to work to kind of grow the wealth snowball. Real estate is a really good wealth multiplier. It's not a really good wealth creator out of nowhere. It, it's slow. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of capital to do it. Now, if you have some of your own cash, which is in my case, it was about a half million dollars I needed to build that first you know, commercial piece of real estate. Um, and you have access to a little bit of cash, you can scrape it up. Or if you have very wealthy family members, that's a different story. But yeah, to buy to buy a million dollar property, which is a small commercial property, you need $350,000, $400,000 to, to do it. And I recommend a couple hundred grand in reserve too, because if something happens to the roof, something happens to the drainage, something happens where you need a you need some cash to bail yourself out of a of a maintenance issue, or you know, your your loans are maturing or something along those lines it can be a sticky situation if you're not well capitalized. So um, real estate is definitely, at least commercial real estate is a, is a rich man's game. Now, if you're going to house hack and you're going to live in one side of a duplex and rent the other one out, I highly recommend that. It's a great way to do it. Um, and you don't need a ton of money to do that. It's also hard to, hard to make a lot of money fast doing that too. So I'd, I'd say most of the time, almost everybody who asks me, Nick, how do I get started in real estate? I'm, I'm almost always steering them to entrepreneurship instead. Ignore yeah. real estate until you until you have some money. Okay. Okay. Got it. And and what, what type of commercial real estate would you advise to get into once they've, you know, 
uh, started with entrepreneurship, got a bit of a cash. Uh, w- would you uh, suggest him to get into self storage or we because you uh, you deal into different sort of commercial real estate? I think it all depends on what opportunities somebody's seeing. Um, okay. it, it, everybody, a lot of people say, you know, I don't know what business to start. I don't know what business to do. Right. And I think that's kind of the wrong way to look at it. The, the right way to look at it is walk around the world with a curious mind thinking about, hey, what? Do, how much money does this business make? How much money does that business make? Um, how does this business work? What's the, what's this opportunity like? How profitable is it? How easy is it to break into? And how does it fit into my network and my skill set and the amount of cash that I have? Hmm. And you know, once you take into consideration your own situation, you can you know make educated guesses on what you know what real estate asset class, what small business to go after. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of great real estate you know sectors and. Right. It's all pretty. It's all pretty simple. I mean, if you know how to run a business, if you know how to market and lease units and answer the phone and manage people, you can you can do pretty well in real estate. There's a lot of there's a lot of rich, um, not very smart people in the real estate game, and I like I like being in this space. Interesting, and um, especially if you're trying to scale up, you know, how how would you raise uh, money for for your deals? Uh, I, uh, I've seen on Twitter you you talked about how you've been able to build a portfolio, which is uh, uh, I, I think less than hundred million dollars, but worth much more. But uh, what what's been your strategy to raise more money? Yeah, I mean, we syndicate, so we raise money on terms where the investor gets a preferred return, and then we get a cut of the upside. So everybody thinks it's impressive that we bought a hundred million dollars worth of real estate. Well, yeah. uh, we have investors that own, you know, all of that real estate. We own a chunk of the upside, and we you know invest five to ten percent of our own cash in each of the deals. So it's not yeah. like I have personally laid out $40 million to buy these deals. But yeah, you gotta you gotta understand real estate private equity and and the and the fees that you need to charge to do the work in, inside of a real estate company, which is managing the managing the business, buying the real estate, um, you know, doing doing all those things that are required of, to to effectively buy and and operate, you know, a real estate asset class. And then it's about approaching people with money and offering them terms that they would accept and and a vision and and what making them trust you that you are going to be a good operator and a good steward of their capital. You're going to protect the downside and you're going to, you know, just be a, be a good manager. Got it. And, and how do you, how do you find the deals to, to buy? Uh, do you focus only in the city that you live in or are you uh, spread across the world? Um, we remotely manage real estate so we can buy anywhere in the country. And we have, like you said, 63 properties and they're in, right. I think they're in 22 different cities. So okay. we have properties in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, you know, all the way up to the Midwest, to the Northeast, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut. And um, we have a fully remote team managing the properties aside from a, a, a group of trusted vendors on the ground that, you know, sweep the units and keep the properties clean and do the snow removal and pest control. But yeah, it's a, it's a effort to source deals. I mean, we're looking at a lot of deals from brokers. We're looking at a lot of deals off market. We cold call owners and it's a numbers game. Like we are, we're, we have three full-time acquisitions folks who are calling owners. We have two underwriters who are constantly all day, every day, underwriting storage deals and right. figuring out what we can afford to pay for them. And we have, you know, uh, a head of finance who's making the offers to the owners. We're negotiating them. And then once we get them under contract, we're working them through due diligence. And, and then we got to raise the money and we got to get the bank loans and we got to close the deal. So there's a lot of moving parts to it, just like any business. 
current mm, and and you, you talked about cold calling and you know, especially you know I, I work in saas sales so uh, there's a lot of cold calling involved there but um and you also talk about it's a numbers game you know how how much of cold calling uh, does your 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 team do and you know what's been uh, the the ratio of you know getting getting these uh, uh, calls converted well real estate right now is really tough it's a really right. tough business so we have we have like 2021 we bought 50 million dollars of the storage mm-hmm. 2022 we bought 36 million dollars of the storage this year so far we've been at it for 6 months and we bought okay. one deal one deal for a little, little under 2 million dollars so okay. um the connection now the market is really tough right now interest rates went from 3.5% to 7% really hard to afford to buy commercial right. real estate and and sellers still want prices that they you know knew they could get back in 2021 so it's a, it's a very tough time to be a real estate buyer at least in self storage okay okay got it and, and how do you how do you operate the properties um uh, i'm also read that you operate the properties on your own and you don't outsource it is there any reason for that uh yeah just i'm a business i'm a business owner i'm an, i'm an entrepreneur i I'm not afraid to manage the teams, I'm not afraid to build the processes, we're not afraid to get our hands dirty to do the work. And so we do we self-manage. We manage our own properties, we answer the phone 24/7, we collect rent, we keep the properties clean. Um so yeah, it's this I I think I can do it better than other a third-party group who I'm paying to manage my properties. I think I can do it better. So that's why we've elected to self-manage and, and build this stuff in house. Okay, okay. And, and and I also assume that you know there's a lot of uh debt involved when you when you look at buying uh, real estate so uh, you know how, how do you generally look at uh, you know buying a property that would have good level of cash flow uh, i understand that you bought only one property but what what was the the deal dynamics behind that deal what led you to buy an our property this year yeah so in 2021 when we were super busy right. we could we could you know responsibly put 60% of the money would be bank debt so we would put 40% of the cash down you know which we'd raise from investors 60% of it would be bank debt and when the bank debt costs 3.5% and you're getting 2 years of interest only you can afford to buy a 6 cap or a 5 and a half cap deal and it would still cash flow um today when interest rates are 7 and a half% the 6 cap deals do not cash flow and and you can't use very much bank debt so basically today we're we're putting um basically full all cash offers in and we're not using bank debt for about the last 6 months. Um not many groups can do that. A lot of them are pushing seller financing on sellers, but yeah, we are we're we're going all cash on on a lot of deals. Well, we we don't have a lot of deals, but the deals that are penciling, we're we're going all cash. I'll I'll tell you there's 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 not a lot less fun right now than the real estate market. It's hard right now. <laughs> In 2021, we were doing a lot of deals, we were transacting, we were collecting a lot of fees, we were refinancing deals, we were making money. 2023 different story it's a grind um you you mentioned like what are the numbers on our on our cold calling uh our team does 1000 connections a week with self storage owners they talk right. to 1000 owners a week our three cold callers and we're we haven't gotten a deal under contract in about 8 weeks so <laughs> nothing today have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of beautiful lives increase the social media presence by tenex they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called social pilot social pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts 
Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. And, you know, I read somewhere like uh, p- people are going back to the offices. Uh, the numbers are, you know, 30% less than what it used to be in 2021. Do you, do you see the commercial real estate, especially the office space is going to, uh, the, the valuations are going to go down uh, and, you know, not a lot of institutional investors are going to look into buying commercial real estate? Uh, yeah, I mean the the values have already gone down. Yeah, we're 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 offering we're offering thirty percent less than we were offering in two thousand twenty one to buy an, no. an asset an asset that's the same because debt debt went from three and a half to seven and a half percent. So debt fuels real estate. Debt debt allows us to buy more real estate. Debt makes it so you need to raise less capital. So yeah, we are. Um, it's the value in our in our opinion the value is down but we're not buying very much storage so maybe we are maybe maybe the value is actually higher than what we are allotting to it it's hard to tell right it's it's a moving it's a moving target you never really know where the value is but yeah the there's a lot of real estate asset classes that are in some some pain right now that have that have a uh, maturing debt coming up they need to replace their mortgages the the value's down maybe the maybe even the operational fundamentals like the the leasing rates and and the amount of customers that are coming into their properties are down, so that makes our job harder across the board. But and, and when you talked about raising funds, do you, do you raise from institutional cap uh, funds or is it a retail investors that you look into? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we go. There, you have two options. You can raise you know larger amounts of money from smaller a smaller number of people, or you can raise. Um, small amounts of money from a larger number of people, we fall somewhere in the middle. Our average yeah. investor has 250 to 500 grand with us, which is, you know, more than, you know, retail investors that are putting 10 or $20,000 into a deal. But yeah, we, we, our minimum investment is 50 grand, but we have some, some LPs that are, you know, multiple seven figures invested with us now. So um, it's, it's not institutional though. We're not, we're not raising money from funds or PE groups or, you know, bigger players were raising money from high net worth individuals. Oh, I see. Okay. Got it. Interesting. And, um, and I also saw that, you know, you, you also an investor in Shepard, you know, which, which allows just like a headhunter agency, which specializes in overseas talent, you know? So, um, uh, so how, how do you, why did you invest into there and what, what was the deal dynamics? Are you, uh, are you also operationally involved in this company? Yeah. So I was first a customer. Um, there's a company called Support Shepherd, supportshepherd.com. Marshall Haas is, is the co-founder and, and him and I are really good friends now. He came to me when the company was about a year old and he said, Nick, you know, you should consider hiring some employees that are in the Philippines and Latin America. And so I reached out to him and I said, okay, look, like, let's set this up. And his team created a job description for me. They brought me three candidates. I was interviewing for a customer service rep first, brought me three candidates and I loved all three of the people. We I hired all three of the candidates that they brought me, and so um, pretty soon, you know, less than a couple months later, I had you know f- five, five or ten of these employees on my um, on my team, and it was going really well. Mm-hmm. And I decided to to be a affiliate for him because I also have a, a large following on Twitter. I think yeah. at the time it was one hundred fifty thousand followers, and the, a lot of people on my newsletter about small business and entrepreneurship, and so I. Um, reached out to, uh, reached out to him. And said, you know, let's let's set up a deal where I can talk about Support Shepherd on on Twitter, and and you can pay me a percentage of the revenue that I bring you. Um, so we did that for about a year, from 2021 to 2000, 
22 and the company grew a lot. It grew really fast and uh, about seven X it was, you know, doing 40, 50 grand a month in revenue to about 250 grand a month in revenue. And then um, at that point, I, I wanted to become an investor and a partner and owner in the business. And him and I made a deal where I was a minority owner and I continued to help grow the company. And it's, it's, it's large now. Like we're doing um, it's a, it's a company that we wouldn't sell for $20 million. So it's a, it's a great business. Interesting. And, uh, you know, I've also also seen that you also are owner or, or you're a part owner in a lot of other other companies. Um, uh, I think there's, there's something called real estate cost segregation. I think, uh, are you focusing mostly on services companies or, or are you also looking to invest into software companies or uh, I don't know about AI companies? What, yeah. What's the what, what's the logic behind, you know, acquiring these companies? Yeah, I have a, I have a unique advantage on, on, you know, on the internet with my distribution. I now have over 300,000 followers on Twitter. I got 110,000 people on my email newsletter. I got 5,000 people each week who listen to my podcast. And so when I, you know, build this audience of business owners who want to make more money and they, you know, maybe they're interested in real estate or they're running small companies and they're interested in hiring and managing, um, I have all of these people following me and they buy services, they buy web development, they buy SEO, they buy, um, you know, pay-per-click performance marketing services, and they buy um, cost segregation, you know, studies from, for their real estate. They buy property and casualty insurance through a broker, through a brokerage. They, you know, they, they use recruiting services of, of hiring and staffing overseas talent and even American talent. So I've started these, this core group of companies that I'm a customer of myself, all my other companies are customers of each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my yeah. my performance marketing firm will use my web development firm, will use my you know SEO firm, will use my recruiting firm. So there's a lot of synergies there, and and also a lot of small business owners and a lot of real estate investors are looking for trustworthy vendors who they can you know u- use to build their websites and do their search engine optimization and pay for their marketing and help them run their marketing. So it's a there's a lot of synergy around these service businesses in in my area, so that's that's why that's why I focus on it. Okay, okay, got it. And, and do you also look at you know what are sort of profit margins in these services? Um, uh, in these service businesses, or would you also look at you know um, acquiring like a like a SaaS product going forward? Yeah, I would love I would love a SaaS project product. That's not um, my specialty. I don't know as much about okay. that, and I haven't had the opportunity yet to start one or invest in one, but. Um, and most of these companies, to be clear, are kind of startups after Shepard. All the others were start up from the ground up. And now there's yeah. 11 businesses. If you, if you count my personal brand and my real, in my brokerage, which we're buying and selling businesses too. Um, so all of them have been started from the ground up and I'm not as good at starting SaaS companies, but I think some, someday soon I'll, I'll own a partner in, in some of these businesses. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, you do talk about a lo- lot of different things. You just not focus on real estate, but uh, how do you get to decide, you know, what to learn and what is your learning process once you made the decision on what to learn? Yeah, that's a, I, that's a tough question. I, I think it's, it, it comes down to your ability to make decisions. Like if you, if, if you're starting a business, if you're learning to do anything, like you have to make a lot of decisions when you're learning those things and, and decision-making is a practiced skill. So it's like, it's, it's a. I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a great answer. Like I. I don't have a solid process for how I learn something. I just 
I think learning is a skill and, and the more, the more learning you do and the more practice learning you do, the, the better you can get at it and the faster you can learn. But, and, and uh, uh, how do you get to, you know, prioritize in, when it comes to making strategic initiatives for, for your real estate uh, business? How do I say that first part again? Uh, how do you get to decide, you know, what to prioritize when it comes to, you know, looking at strategic initiatives for, uh, for your core business? Yeah, I think business is is unique because there's a hundred decisions that you need to make every week, and yeah. and you don't know which decisions are the most important ones. You're you're left with incomplete information. You don't have all the data to make the best decisions, or feel like you're making a data driven decision. And also, you can get a lot of the decisions wrong. There's no correct answer to a lot of the decisions. So, for example, if you're starting a company, you have a lot of decisions to make right off the bat. And some of those decisions, like they're like wise in the road and you can go left and you can go right. And both of them can get you to the place you need to go. And you just don't know. You don't know which decisions are the big ones and which decisions aren't. So um, in my opinion, the biggest decisions that you can make are, you know, the, the initial tool stack that you use to, to start your business with, what tools you're using as a CRM, as communication, as, you know, um, all those things. And then also who you're partnering with and how, um, and, and managing expectations and setting expectations on who does what and how they're going to do it. So those are some things that I prioritize when I'm starting a company. All right. And uh, I also saw that you, you got 50, 50 employees in the company, but uh, what's been your biggest lesson since you started uh, your business when it comes to hiring? I think at the very beginning, I used to think about hiring as, hey, I, I'm going to post a job right. and people are going to come to me because they want to work for a company and I kind of just expected great people to walk in the door. And I realized pretty quickly that, hey, great people are really hard to find. And, and you get a lot of advice as a business owner, like just hire great people, just hire great people, just hire great people. I think that advice is just not good. I think it's not, a pro, it's not practical advice for a startup founder. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, Elon Musk can attract great people. If I'm starting a lawn care business, how am I going to attract great people to mow lawns with me? That is not practical advice. So simplify the job and set your business up so that normal people can come in and do really well and help you make money. And if your business requires unicorns, if it requires unbelievable people to do well in it, like a lot of tech startups do, you know, a lot of a lot of businesses, you have to be really, really, really good at what you do to actually survive. That's not a business I want to be in. I want to be in a I want to be in a business where if I if I properly manage and organize a group of people, we can be profitable and we can make money. But, and uh, what would you think would be your, you know, uh, your biggest hiring mistake uh, you know, since you started entrepreneurship? Hmm. I, I haven't made a, a ton of big mistakes. I haven't hired the wrong person for too long and let them run my company to the ground. I haven't hired... I've hired a lot of friends and family and I've been wise and how I manage expectations. And we've parted, some of us have parted ways and it didn't, it didn't ruin a relationship. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. If there's something that I did right, it's that I, I managed expectations with almost all the employees and all the people that I've hired so that there's never a big gap between what somebody expects to happen and what, you know, is, is actually happening. So that's been a, uh, something I've done, right. As far as a mistake goes, I think it's, um, early on, I just wasn't hiring fast enough. I was I was doing too much of the work myself. I was not a good delegator. 
And I was, I was, I was thinking, Hey, get out of my way. I can do this. You know, instead of, Hey, um, I need to, in order to really leverage and scale and grow this business, I need to kind of accept the fact that an employee might not do quite as good of a job as me, but they're going to free me up to do other things. And that's the, and that's the really valuable part. So I think early on, I was too slow to hire at the beginning. And when it comes to delegation, uh, when do you think the founder should start delegating? Should it be like uh, like a, uh, a revenue number or the number of employees when he should think about delegation? I think it's a it's a skill it's a skill level it's an experience level and it's and it's you know business prospects. Hmm. A, a operator who's got experience, somebody who's sold a couple of companies, somebody who's got a bankroll, they've got money in the bank, they're they're rich, they they've done this before they're an experienced entrepreneur, they're going to delegate from day one. Like They're going to hire an employee before they even have a customer. Right. Okay. But if you're a college student, you got no money, no network, and you got no ability, uh, you need to do the work yourself. <laughs> you need to do the right. work yourself. Like Trade your time for money. Business is a... In my opinion, entrepreneurship is a, is a step-by-step process. Step one, trade your time for money. Get good at what you're doing. Step two, delegate so that you can trade that person's time. You can pay money for time. Like, okay, time time for money at the beginning. I'm I'm doing work to get paid. Step two, I'm paying somebody else to do work, and I'm getting paid more than I'm paying them. I'm leveraging another another person, and then from there, it's just continue to, you know, take what you get in the business. And if you have a good business that's profitable and you can grow faster, um, do it. And if your business model is flawed and, and it's not working. Um, you obviously, don't hire and delegate when there's no work to, that needs to be done. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Correct, correct. Interesting. And, um, uh, you know, you've been uh, active on Twitter. you got a huge following, got more, more than 300,000 followers. Um, I also read one of the posts where you're leveraging Twitter to to build your business and get new investors. What, what advice would you give to somebody like me who's just trying to build his personal brand on Twitter uh, on, on any, anybody who wants to... And get more, uh, build more of the personal brand there. Yeah. So, a personal brand is really, really valuable. Right. If if you have a a way to monetize the 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 following, right. Or you want to network and make friends, or you just want to, you know, practice your writing and you want to bounce ideas and learn. So there's three there's three ways you, you can you can go out and make money. You can sell to your following. Right. Number two is you can make friends with your following and number th- and, and build your own network and, and link up with other people like you because entrepreneurship is really lonely. And number right. three is you can put an idea out there and you can get feedback and you can learn really fast. You can interact with smart people and they'll, they'll tell you where you're wrong and they'll, they'll, you know, make you better, make you smarter. But if you want to grow a following, I think the, the, the path is pretty similar um, for everybody. And it's step one is you got to do something interesting. Right. There's, there's two reasons why somebody would follow you on the internet. It's one is because you make really good arguments and you say really smart things. Mm-hmm. And number two 
is that you've accomplished something and you are an authority and you should be trusted. I think the second one is more important. Second one's way more important. It's like, okay, there's a, somebody wants to get a following. Let's just paint a picture here. Somebody wants to get a following in basketball. They're a basketball expert and they want to get a following when it comes to basketball. Right. One is Michael Jordan. One is Michael Jordan. Yeah. They're the best basketball player of all time. The other one is a high school PE teacher and a big fan of the Chicago Bulls. Right. Which one of those two people are you going to want to follow if you want to learn basketball? Michael, yeah. Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody wants to get a following. Everybody wants to put out information. Everybody wants to build a personal brand. But if they're not doing anything, hmm. they haven't built a business. They haven't made money. If they haven't built teams, if they haven't hired people, it, it, it's just not going to work. And the second thing, like one really tactical thing that you can do is like, set your bio on Twitter up to make people want to follow you. Hmm. Way too many people are super humble in their bio. And their bio says, you know, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a business owner, I'm an investor, and I love, you know, business and giving back. That doesn't tell me anything about what they do or what they've done. And unfortunately, when I go and visit somebody's profile, the, sec- the, the three seconds that I'm on their profile... I'm extremely selfish and I'm thinking, hey, what can this person teach me? Hmm. What can this person that I'm on their profile right now, what can they teach me and why should I follow them? I'm very selfish. I'm in a selfish mode. Why should I listen to them? Because we live in an era on the internet where there's tons of people arguing. There's tons of great content. There are an amazing amount of writers and I don't have time. I don't have time to vet everybody based on how logical their argument is. I don't have time to judge everybody based on the amazing points that they make or the value that they're adding in their writing. So what happens is, is people judge the book by the cover on on Twitter. They do it very quickly. You're getting judged. You're getting micro judged over and over and over and over again. People are visiting my profile right now and they're judging it. They're judging it. They're judging it. Should I follow? Should I follow? What can this guy do for me? What can this guy do for me? What can this guy do for me? Hmm. Way too many people have their profile set up the entire wrong way that makes them look like just an average Joe Schmo. And people are visiting their profile. People are visiting their profile. People are visiting their profile and nobody's following them because they're not wearing the suit for the interview. Hmm. You can be humble and you can treat people with respect, but if you're not willing to tell people what you've done in your bio and why they should follow you and, and brag on yourself, like literally brag on yourself, there are brilliant people who have bought hundreds of millions of dollars with a real estate and have a lot to say and their bio doesn't say it. And it's like, it's, it's, they're showing up to an interview in a tank top. They're showing up to an interview at an investment bank in a tank top hmm. instead of showing up to the interview in a suit, show up to the interview in a suit. You're getting micro judged all the time on, on social media very quickly. Separate yourself from the crowd make people understand why they should trust you and tell them very quickly and very succinctly what they can do or what they can learn from you and what you, what value you can add to them. So people are naturally humble. Everybody should be naturally humble. We're taught to not brag on ourselves. And I'm not talking about 30 under 30 Forbes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, Hey, I have built this many businesses to this much money and I've had this many exits for this much money. That's very uncomfortable for a lot of people like us to say. We are not naturally going to brag on each other. We think it makes ourselves look silly. It doesn't. If you think you're going to get follows, and if you think you're going to get people to follow you on social media, just off the quality of your thoughts and the quality of your arguments and the quality of your content, 
that's an extremely arrogant way to think about social media. It, it is. It's an arrogant, selfish way to think about social media. It's a game that if you want to play the game, this is what you need to do. It's not about bragging. It's not about being humble. It's about that's how to do it. And so many people get that wrong. There's so many brilliant people trying so hard on social media that are afraid. They're afraid to put on the suit for the interview. <laughs> so, so super interesting. I think, I think that's a great advice. But uh, are you looking at Twitter to add more uh to to make a network or to to get more investors and you know what's what's your networking strategy in order to get the right sort of people it's a flywheel um i'm meeting amazing people i'm getting face to face people like you i've met mentors i've met friends i've went on on trips where we've collaborated and had you know deep dives and masterminds on how to get better as business people with people who are running 200 200 to 500 600 million dollar companies that's, those are the people that I've gotten in the room with through right. Twitter. And they're becoming friends. And we're collaborating. We're making, making each other better. Those are the people that I'm hanging out with. I'm also finding investors. I have an investor list that's 1,500 people long of people who are interested in seeing my deals when I send out my deals or when, I, when I'm interested in doing something. They trust me. They get to look into my mind all the time. They know how I think about business. They're interested in doing business with me. And also, I'm selling. I'm selling web development services. I'm selling cost segregation services. We're selling recruiting services. We're selling, you know, so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big flywheel. Right, right. I'm adding value. I'm adding as much value as I possibly can to all these people, adding as much value as I can. I'm giving them all the advice that I can on real estate. I'm telling them how I do it. I'm telling them how I hire people, how I, I'm just trying to make people who are interested in business, better business. That's all I'm trying to do. But then the trust flywheel starts. They start to trust me. They get a look into my mind. They see how I think about things. They trust when I recommend a company. They trust when you know I advise them to do something, right. and they want to be friends with me. Maybe they maybe they think, oh, that I like the way this guy thinks. This guy resonates with me. We would get along well, right. and they'll reach out and ping me, and we'll begin to build a relationship. And it's it's just pretty. Um, it's pretty amazing the flywheel that can take place. You don't have to pick and choose. You don't have to pick and choose whether you're going to go after customers, friends, you know, uh, you know, investors. You can have it all, and it's an unbelievable thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's 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 great advice. I just want to quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Um, my favorite, one of my favorite business books that you might not have heard. I'm going to mention two business books. Okay. The first one is Entre Leadership by Dave Ramsey. Um, you think of Dave Ramsey as a super Christian guy who tells people no credit cards. Yeah. Um, Dave Ramsey is also a great entrepreneur. He's been through, uh, he went through the real estate crisis, lost a lot of properties. He's building a massive media brand. He knows how to manage people. He knows how to build a business. And that book is full of very tactical advice on how to build a business. Uh, second book, the second book that I really like is called The Goal by Elihu Goldratt. And look, everybody loves... James Clear, Atomic Habits. I'm trying to go a little bit off the beaten path of maybe two books that people haven't heard. Um, but I also have a list of, I have a book list that I can I can send you and put in. I ha, I've, I've done a, a lot of reading. I've probably read four to 500 business books and nice. I have a PDF. I have a PDF that people can click on and sign up for uh, my email newsletter and they get a PDF with about 15 of my favorite books and why they should read them and what they're about. Yeah. Um, but the second one is called, so I'll put that link, I'll give that link to you so that you can include it in the show notes if people want that. But um, the second book that I really like is called The Goal by Elihu Goldratt. Have you, have you ever heard of that book? It's, I know it's about 
um, the, the bottleneck in any business. Every business has a bottleneck, whether it's customers, whether it's processes, whether it's a certain employee doing a certain thing inside your business. And your job as a business owner is just to relieve bottlenecks all over your business so that things can continue to happen and information can move and customers can get what they want and customers can pay you. So it's a really amazing uh, book on how to think about the bottlenecks, how to remove the bottlenecks. And they use a, a fictional story about a factory um, to kind of tell that story. And it's a great book. No, awesome. I haven't read it, but I'll, I'll put down in the show notes and I'll also put the, the list of the, the uh, of your favorite books on, on the show notes. And, um, you know, if you could go back in time when you started with cell storage um, and, and both, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? So when I was, the problem with real estate, and, and it's such a great business when you get momentum, but right. at the very beginning, you need you need two things. You need to be able to run the business and to be able to find the deals. And you also have to go after and find the capital. You have to go find the money. Yeah. I spend a lot of time studying the deals. I spend a lot of time learning the business. I spend a lot of time going after deal flow, cold calling owners, getting, getting deals that were worth buying. But I didn't spend enough time at the beginning going after the money, the capital, the investor. And I thought forever that my customer, the customer in self-storage was the, the tenant. The tenant was the customer. And they are, but they're not the main customer. The main customers are investors. Our investor, the person who puts their cash with me, that's really my number one customer. In order to serve them, I have to serve a tenant, of course. I have to yep. manage the property. I have to keep it clean. I have to rent it. I have to run the business well. But I didn't think of the investor as the number one customer early on, and I do now. <laughs> kind, of, kind of interesting. And uh, what's your favorite online tool, for example, uh, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, I really like Airtable. It's a very cheap CRM. That's great. Um, Customer.io is a, an amazing tool to send automatic emails to customers at different times. In the, you know, you can have them fill out a, a form on your landing page, and if they drop out halfway through, you can you can send them, you know, scheduled emails, automated emails to bring them back. Um, Customer.io is a is extremely underrated tool. But I think for the first time, small business owner, they're in business for the very first time. G Suite, Google Voice free version of Slack and you're in business. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Nick, uh, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about uh, a Sweaty Startup, Bold Stories and the other businesses? So you can follow me on Twitter at Sweaty Startup. If you don't like Twitter, um, I spend a lot of time each week drafting a newsletter and it's on, I send it out every Monday or Tuesday and I it's on the topic of hiring, managing, building teams, building businesses and real estate. And so if you're an entrepreneur, if you're managing people at work, whatever it could be, and you want to get better at managing people and getting higher leverage and make more money, um, my, my uh, newsletter is for you. And you can go to sweatystartup.com to subscribe to my newsletter. And I send a 2000 word email every week. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Nick, thank you so much for taking our time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.